Haggai chapter 1. Before we read the first chapter, let me just say that, uh, give you a little background. Judah had been conquered and Jerusalem burned. The temple destroyed when the people were carried into captivity. All that had taken. And to bring you up to the date of this uh, book of Haggai, after 70 years of captivity, about 50,000 Jews, by the edict of King Cyrus, returned to their homeland. That was about 536 B.C. And they began rebuilding the temple. And that's the background for what we're talking about here in Haggai. But their enemy neighbors had caused the work to be interrupted before the foundation had hardly been finished. You know, you hate to start any building and not even get the foundation done. And that's what they did as far as the temple was concerned. And for 15 years, 15 years later, Darius, a new king, ascended to the Persian throne. And under the preaching of the the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, Uh, The temple work was resumed and completed in four years after they really got back to building it. And about 70 years later, the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt by Nehemiah, and perhaps in association with Malachi the prophet. If you look at this book, I'll give you a kind of a division of it. And of course, there's only uh, two short chapters or two chapters. Normal length, I suppose. First one's rather short. But uh, we have two chapters here in Haggai. And uh, there are five addresses or five messages. And in these five messages, it begins with the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. And each one is separated by the fact that God's word is coming to this prophet in order to uh, bring this message to the people So, we'll say there are five addresses or five messages. And if you want to mark them, let me give you this. Haggai 1, verses 1 through 11 is the first message. And it's a message of rebuke and warning. You might just put down a message of rebuke and warning. Haggai 1, verse 1 through 11. And then, Haggai 1, 12 through 15 is a message of commendation. They're commended. A message of commendation. And then Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, a message of encouragement. And then Haggai 2, verses 10 through 19, a message of purity and patience. And then Haggai 2, verses 20 through 23, a message concerning safety. Now, I'll repeat these if you would like to write them down. Number one, a message of rebuke and warning. That's Haggai 1, 1 through 11. Number two, a message of commendation. Haggai 1, 12 through 15. Number three, a message of encouragement. Haggai 2, 1 through 9. And then number four, a message of purity and patience. Haggai 2, 10 through 19. And then a message concerning safety. Haggai 2, 20 through 23. Now, if you'd like those when we get through and you miss some of it, well, just let me know and we'll fill you in because we don't want you to be missing those. Uh, It's good if you'll mark that section in your Bible, and then you'll have the message as you go along. So, we'll, and by the way, as we begin to teach it, we'll repeat those to you under every division, so you won't have to worry about it. When we come to the teaching of it, we'll repeat what we're studying. Now, of course, this first message is a message of rebuke and warning. 
uh, Haggai 1, 1 through 11. And so when we get down to 12, we'll repeat again. Now then, we've already said that Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the post-exile prophets. These are the ones that after they were brought back from captivity, Babylonian captivity. And so you can find a lot of these things in Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi that relate to Ezra and Nehemiah. They were also historical books that would show you after the exile. Remember, Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. When they came back, he found it in such a state that the walls were burned and uh, walls were torn down and the gates were burned and he, he rebuilt the walls. And Ezra had a great deal to say about uh, the things that we're studying as well. So these uh, three prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, are what we call the post-exilic or post-exile prophets. Now, this is a book, Haggai, of five challenges or five messages. And we've given you the division of these five messages. And he challenges the people from the Word of God by each and every one. And uh, Haggai's name means festal one. F-E-S-T-A-L, festal one, or my feast. It could be said either way, festal one or my feast. And we'll begin reading with uh, the first part of this uh, first chapter. And you'll find in it that it is a message of rebuke and warning. This Before we read anything, let me just say that the first step in the restoration of Israel's national life after 70 years of captivity was the uh, rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And it had been started, you can look at 2 Kings 24 and 20 and Ezra 3 verse 10, you'll find about uh, some references concerning the laying of the foundation and etc. But let's look at the very first verse of this scripture. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, and then verse 2 tells what he says. Let's stop there with verse 1. And we'll see some more about the introduction of this little book. First of all, let's notice is in the second year of Darius the king. Now remember when Darius uh, the king took over, you find that after uh, Cyrus, see if I can find, after Cyrus had overthrown Babylon uh, to establish the Persian Empire, and then re- remember what happened uh, in the book of Daniel. You'll find it in the, the uh, fifth chapter of Daniel, and you'll find something that is related to after the return. In fact, we're talking about Darius, the Median, the head of the kingdom. And so in Daniel chapter 5, I remember when Belshazzar threw his big party and they were drinking wine in the vessels of God and, and uh, they had desecrated the things of God. And then verse 25, it says, and this is the writing. Well, verse 24 says, chapter 5 of Daniel, then was part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Many, many, tekel you farson. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. 
Take, O thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Perish, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with a scarlet, with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. It says, In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And it says, And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So we find that was the end of the rule of Belshazzar and the beginning of the rule of, of Darius. And so when you come back to Haggai, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, the Persian king, it says, In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, you still have Haggai now, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, and we read the rest of it, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, and let's stop there, because there's a little bit more we want to uh, give detail of in this first verse. Notice that the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And the prophets of old, they spoke what God's word said. What God's word was brought to them. And if you study, you'll find it says the word of the Lord came unto Amos or, or Hosea or Zechariah or various ones of the... And here's the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. We're told that God's word will stand and it will stand forever. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So when the prophets preached the word of God and they wrote the word of God, we'll find that all the holy men of God were spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter tells us that. As they were born along, literally guided and directed to write what they wrote and to preach what they preached. We find that, I believe, it's in Second Peter chapter 1. Let me see if it's the right place. I'd like to check it out when I give you a reference and then make sure it's correct. Yeah, Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, beginning with verse 19, says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as the light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. Now listen, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but here's how it came, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, it's divinely inspired. And Paul includes all the New Testament in there, and he says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, mature is what it means, grown up, truly furnished unto all good works. And so it thoroughly and truly furnishes a Christian to all that he needs to know as far as spiritual and eternal things are concerned, as far as serving God is concerned. God's Word is full and complete. It's a complete revelation. Someone says, well, there's some things I don't know. Well, the Bible says that God has reserved some things for Himself. It says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed unto us and to our children forever. And by the way, if you want that, you ought to put it down as kind of a uh, measuring thing to uh, combat people that say, well, you know, we don't know this or that or the other. It's Deuteronomy 29.29. Deuteronomy 29.29. There are certain scriptures you ought to memorize. 
or at least know where they're found. And you ought to become familiar with your Bible so when the preacher says uh, a certain book of the Bible, it doesn't take you a week to find it. Or you don't have to look in the index and see if it follows something else. You ought to learn. You know, we teach our little kids the books of the Bible. Most of them in the primary class can quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, and right on through, you know. And then we don't learn them ourselves. But we should learn them. And so when you learn the books of the Bible, you'll know where they are and you'll know what uh, to look for. So anyway... We find that God's word came to these old prophets, and the Bible tells us, I believe it's Psalm 119, verse 89. Let's see. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. If you read Psalm 119, you'll find over and over again uh, the things about the word of God. It's just all through there about God's word. And I could give you those, but that would take too much time to give them to you right now. So let's get back to Haggai. But remember, God's Word, He said, it shall not return void. By the way, for anyone that's discouraged about trying to teach your class or trying to be faithful in the midst of whether or not you think, well, uh, I wonder if they're getting it. I wonder if there's going to be any profit in it. I wonder if they're going to ever listen to what I have to say. You just keep faithful preaching the Word, and God says it will not return void. But it will accomplish the purpose wherein do I have sent it. And so, knowing that, that God has promised that, just be faithful and let us not be weary in well-doing. The Bible says, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So, there's been many a person that's given up because they thought, well, I'm not doing any good. In fact, I had a conversation this week to encourage one in that direction. But uh, the thing about it is, just because you don't see uh, a lot of results. You know, a lot of people think that all you can measure your success by is what you see, how many people you see walk down the aisle any certain Sunday. That's not the way you measure God's work. But you know that a lot of this evangelistic world is putting that impression forth so that a person thinks, I had a good friend. Uh, Billy Reed was his name. We went to seminary with him. They, he... When he got out of school, they gave him a pretty good-sized church in Florida. And I think he had four or five hundred in Sunday school. A big church. And he got discouraged one time, and he said, well, he put out the fleece. And by the way, be careful when you do that. Uh, but he put out the fleece and said, if God wants me to keep on preaching, well, listen, if God called him, he wanted him to keep on. He shouldn't have had to question that. But he says, God wants me to keep on preaching. I want 15 people. And he put a number. I don't know if it was 15, 12, or 20. But he put a number there. I want them to walk down the aisle this Sunday. And I'll know that that's what God wants me to do. Well, they didn't, they didn't come. And he doesn't work that way. It's right, Brother Wendell. And see, here's what happens. He quit preaching. And he had his education. He was qualified. He was a good preacher. But he let that one thing throw him. Don't ever try to test God. I mean, He may test you, but you don't test Him. And so, uh, especially not in that way. Not in that way. 
So, the thing about it is, the word of the Lord is what Haggai preached. That's what we're all to preach. And by the way, we shouldn't be preaching everything else but the word. You know, a lot of folks preach current events and preach this and that and the other and all kinds of plans and programs and they got it all ironed out to where it's just one thing right after another. Well, if you preach the Word, and that's what we've always done in this church, and that's what we'll continue to do as long as I'm here, and uh, that's if, if we see the results physical or see uh, with our natural eyes some results, that's one thing. But if we don't see that, God knows the results of what is happening, and He has promised that it's going to be successful in the end. And it's up to you and I to be faithful. And he tells us to be faithful unto death, and he will give us a crown of life. All right, let's look at this. It says, By Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, we're still in the first verse. Now I want you to notice, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest. So you have both the civil and the religious. Notice, Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest. God had both of them to hear the message. You might put it the political and the religious, or the civil and the religious leaders of that day needed to hear what God's Word had to say. And of course, He gave His message out. Uh, before I go too far, I want to mention we're talking about the temple here being re- rebuilt. And this is really a foreshadow of a more glorious temple yet to be constructed in a future time. And though we won't We may not have a chance to mention that too often. We do want you to be mindful that the temple, you know, Solomon's temple was destroyed and they were going to rebuild the temple. And we'll find in the context here when they were talking about what it's going to look like, they said, is it going to reach the glory that that temple had before? And they were all disappointed, you know. But it was a figure of a more glorious temple than even Solomon's temple. And so you don't have anything to worry about. As far as the future is concerned, God's going to take care of that when the time comes. But notice what the message of uh, Haggai was. Look at beginning with verse 2. Let's read 2 through 5. It says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That might be a good text to look at what we've just read. In all that they were contemplating here, they needed to consider their ways. But I want you to notice verse 2 again. And we like to deal with each verse as we go along because every once in a while you'll find some little jewels there that you need to look at that are shine out like diamonds and that are really meaningful. Someone asked me one time, says, uh, what about those genealogies? You know, like you read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and it starts out at the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and so on and so forth. And you read on down, so and so begets so and so, and so and so begets so and so. And some of you have heard me teach on that. And I say that there are streams in the desert. You say that's kind of a desert like of scriptures. 
say, hey, well, it just says so-and-so begets so-and-so. But then we pointed out one time when we were teaching that, four women included. Remember those four women? And I could go there and, and show you, but we won't have time. But they are very meaningful, found in the record. When usually men are all that's included, but these four women found their place in that genealogy, in Matthew's Gospel. And they're very meaningful. In fact, I have a sermon on it. But when you're reading Scripture, you look for something special because there's always something there. So in in this second verse, that's why I said I didn't want to run over it real quickly because it says in verse 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people... Now, I want you to notice that. You might circle or underline this people. He does not say my people, though they were his people, but he was classifying them as this people say. He, he could have said my people say. But you know, in the sense, they were not quite to be recognized as such considering their actions. Isn't it an awful thing for God to look at you and I today in Christendom and say, this people, these Christian people of this Christendom, uh, this generation of people, instead of saying my people, and we really are, and they were His too. But you see, our relationship to God has to do with how we're acting toward God. And so, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come. In other words, that's what other people would say too, isn't it? The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So, consider your ways in relation to God's cause. They were saying God's house should not be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? It's time for you to dwell in a good house, and leave God's house, and God's place of worship, and the things of God, uh, put them on the back burner, so to speak. You know, this could apply at any particular time. Put off till later the things of God. That's what it amounts to. Not getting our priorities straight. We've always got time for ourselves. Someone says, well, I don't have time enough for myself. Well, have you given God any time? Consider your ways, he says. We're selfish and careless as far as the things of God is concerned. Man gives, gains nothing in the light of eternity when he serves self and neglects the service of God, the work of God. We'll tell, we'll tell other people, I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. You've got as much time as anyone in the world because we've all got 24 hours a day, right? You start trying to make excuse and you could find an excuse for not even uh, doing anything. You could find an excuse not even go to your own work during the week. If you worked hard enough at it, finding an excuse. Just say, well, this morning... Instead of 8 o'clock, I'm going to go at 10. And then the next day say, well, I don't feel like going this morning. I'll wait till this afternoon. Well, you know, we all have our days that we feel better and feel worse. The pessimist, you know, says, I'll feel bad when I feel good because I know sometime I'm going to feel worse. <laughs> So, that's the way a lot of people look at it. But think about this. What does he say? Consider your ways. He says, is it time for you, verse 4, 
to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. What do you talk about time? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about how you're treating God. You know, God's house and place of worship needs to be a priority in our lives. God's service needs to be a pri- take priority. We can always find a reason or an excuse. And most excuses are not a reason. To not do what we know that God wants us to do. And the, you know what the Bible says? It says, Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. So, when we know a right thing in God's service, and it is right and good, and to do good, whatever it may be, whatever character the service may take on, and then we make excuse not to do it, when we know better, well, then it is sin. And so, here they were, they were having a problem with putting God first and doing what God wanted them to do. Now, I want you to notice, it says in verse 5, Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now then, in view of the results of their labors, what had happened about their labors? They need to consider their ways, not only as far as God's time and God's service and God's house was concerned to build it. Remember, they only had the foundation. Sixteen years had passed since they had laid the foundation. Sixteen years. Would you build a foundation for your house and leave it for sixteen years? I hardly think not. In fact, you might not think it's good enough to build on after that being much time. But on the other hand, that's what they were doing. Now, in verse uh, 6, you'll see, in view of the result of their labors, what happened. It says, you have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Now, that's not a good way to keep your money, is it? I remember one time, I think I told you this one time, down in Mount Pleasant, Texas, when I was pastor in Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, and my suit pants, my knife had worn a hole through or keys, something, and made a little hole in the pocket of my suit. And lo and behold, that one morning, uh, I had put my keys, I guess, in my coat pocket or somewhere else, and I was uh, preaching the sermon, and some way or another, or teaching the Sunday school adult class, I think it was during the preaching service, and I stepped out from behind the pulpit, and I was making the point, and I said, you see, you can't keep money or anything if you got holes in your pocket. Now I dropped that pocket knife in my pocket and it came out down below and I reached down and picked it up and they got the point. You, it's like putting something in your pocket and there's holes in it. And it says here, he that earth wages puts it into a bag with holes. And so the, the uh, results of their labors was not good. And uh, they had not put God first. And you know why? That their results was not good? Because God had something to do with the results. You remember the Scripture in Matthew 6, verse 33, where Jesus said, what? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and what? And all these things shall be added unto you. 
And when you get in the context, you'll find it was food and clothing and shelter. It was the things, the necessities of life. He talked about the lilies of the field. He talked about the birds of the air. He talks about even though they did not sow nor reap or anything like that, yet they were clothed and the flowers of the field. And he talked about the uh, birds being fed. And he says, you're of more value than many sparrows. So why do we worry such and fret in such a way? But he puts a priority there. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will bless the work of your hands. They'll be added to you if you're not slothful. And if you're diligent, someone says, well, I'm just going to sit back. God says, if I'll put the worship of God first, I'm just going to come to church. I'm going to go home and wait for God to, to, to add all these things to me. That, he's not going to do it that way either. Because he tells us that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And the Bible says, the sluggard will not plow, listen, by reason of the cold. Therefore, he shall beg in the harvest and have nothing. So God expects that work element to be involved in, in the prosperity that he gives you, both spiritual and material. You don't just sit around and wait for God to hand it to you. But he'll give you life and health and strength where you can make your living. So, poverty comes to the slothful and the sluggard and to those that are negligent in the worship and service of God. And it comes because they do not put God first. And so considering verse 6, in view of the results of their labors, they need to consider their ways. Now look at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now they had to consider their ways in view of the work that was to be done. Verse 7 and 8 shows us the work that they needed to be needed to, to do. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. I mean, it's time to do it. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He says, if you'll do what I want you to do, I'm going to be pleased with it and, and, and it'll, I'll be glorified in what you're doing. Remember, Paul said in the New Testament, do all to what? The glory of God. So, whatever we do. And then in verse 9, he continues to show how that he has a hand in prospering their way or letting them go on as they are. He says, you looked for much. Look at this. And lo, it came to little. And when, when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. He blew it away. I did blow upon it like chaff. He says, when you, he's talking about, I did blow upon it. Some of you have seen the old uh, wheat combines grain combines out in the field and you know it cuts off the heads and it goes up in there and it thrashes that and the wheat goes up in the hopper and then out the fan tail they call it you have a fan out there it just scatters that chaff everywhere don't get behind it when it's doing that because <clears throat> talk about dust and stuff especially in dry weather if it's real dry you can hardly thrash it if it's not but anyway to to Make a long story short, God says He blows upon it. And even the good that we could realize, it's gone. Because when God blows upon it and blows it away, in fact, if you have a marginal reference, it probably will say, blow it away. It's what mine says. And uh, I did blow upon it. And it, He asked the question in the middle of verse 9, Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. 
Because you just failed to put me first. You know, I've never found a person that put God first in his life that God did not bless in one way or another. Now, you may have found them. But in the midst of all of our trials, it doesn't mean you won't have trials. It doesn't mean you will not have troubles and problems. But it does mean that if you put God first, some way or another, He will bring you out of it. And that's His business to do it, and He will do it. And He says here, why? Why did He do that? Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste? That's why, it's, that's why He blew upon it. And you run every man to his own house. And see, God has control of the heavens. In verse 10, He says, Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. Fruitlessness. And he says, And I call for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil. God says, I called for that, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of, their, of the hands. Well, he, uh, Haggai gave him a message, didn't he? Within that message, he had the remedy for them. And the remedy was that they need to put God first. And they need to consider their ways. You know, every once in a while, we ought to just sit back and consider our ways. Just take an account of where we are. There's a scripture. I preached on it. I'll tell you when I preached on it. When Tom Brinkman was saved here in this church. I preached on I thought on my ways and I turned my feet unto thy word. I thought on my ways. I thought and I turned was the message. I thought and I turned. And you think about where you are and then you turn to God. And uh, that's what we need to do. And that's what Zerubbabel was being called upon to do and also Joshua Joshua, uh, the high priest. Both of them were called as leaders. And as leaders they were to cause cause the people to follow uh, Haggai the prophet. You see, when you have leadership that will turn, you can have other people that will turn. That's why we need our leadership in churches or in the land or wherever they may be in our nation to turn to God. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we have a president that's not ashamed to say that he prays to God for help. I feel it's a good thing. You can have all the arguments against him or for him that you want, but it's still good to have Godly men, I could go back in history and show you many of the men of the Bible. Abraham Lincoln and uh, George Washington and a lot of, and Jefferson, many of the men of the Bible that, uh, I mean, of the nation that always believed in the Bible. I've got all the words mixed up I'm trying to tell you that. But many of the men of our nation, they would say how they felt about God's Word and they would seek God's guidance in their lives. And our nation was founded upon that kind of a, of a belief and, and uh, it'd be good if we could come back to it. So here we find that, uh, that Haggai was uh, one that was giving the message to these leaders. And if you'll notice, verse 12, it says, Then, look, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, now first the leaders, and then what? Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. 
They responded, didn't they? After he got through, they responded to him. And they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet. As the Lord, their God, had sent him. He was sent. says, how can they preach except they be what? Sent. Romans chapter 10, remember? How can they hear without a preacher? And the people did fear. That means they turned to God. They respected God. They feared God. They stood in God's presence obediently before the Lord. Now then, we come in the last part of this, and we'll just have time for these three verses. And we had here a message of commendation. We've been talking about a message of warning and rebuke, rebuke and warning. And now, the second part of this chapter, this first chapter, a message of commendation, beginning with verse 12. We've already read verse 12. But it says, Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you. What an encouragement. I am with you, saith the Lord. That's the best thing that he could have said to them. I am with you. And notice what happened in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor uh, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now, what did he do in verse 14? God, through this message, after he said, I'm with you, he stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. And he stirred up the spirit of Joshua. And he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And what did it cause all of them to do? And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Only as a result of God moving upon them would they be obedient and would the work be accomplished. So when God stirs your heart, and He does today to do whatever He wants you to do, then the work will be done. But He starts with the leaders and then all the, the people are involved. They didn't do it alone. Joshua the... The, the, the priest didn't do it. Uh, Zerubbabel, the governor, didn't do it. But they were leaders in it. And then God stirred up all the remnant of the people. And they all did it. And there's a scripture uh, back in the book of Joshua, I believe it is, where it says, let all the people of God go up. Not just a few of them. Every once in a while you'll find in a church where someone says, well, you know, I'm sitting on the pew and that's all I need to do. Well, you can pray. You can give, you can witness, you can invite someone to the house of God. There's a lot of things that if you're not a preacher or a teacher or a song leader or a pianist or a, or a, a layman, of, a deacon of the church, there's still things you can do. And it's up to everyone, and that's what you call a, growing, a going church is a growing church. And if we will all go, we will all grow. But it takes every one of us to do our part. And everyone has a service. You, every once in a while you'll find someone said, Well, I can't do anything. There was a woman, remember, that came and anointed the feet of Jesus? Anointed Jesus? And the apostles, some of them were jealous. They complained about it and about the expense of it. And he said, You know what Jesus said about this woman? He says, Let her alone. She had done what she could. And there's more to the context there. But I just want to... Use that part of it. When a person will do what they can do, 
what they're able to do, it will be sufficient and it will be blessed. So I'll try to leave that word of encouragement to all of us. Every one of us that are here tonight, whether you belong to this church or don't, whether you're a visitor, whoever you may be, or whatever the situation is, every one of us need to do what we can. And God will bless it. Well, we thank you for your patience kind attention. We'll pick up with a second chapter in our next lesson and uh, cover it, try to cover it in our next lesson on Haggai. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed.